Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Really appreciate it. I am on the road today and tomorrow. Today in Monmouth, Illinois, broadcasting from the studios of our affiliate WRAM. Tomorrow I'll be in Kansas City at the Western Farm Show and broadcasting from the booth of our affiliate KKOW in Pittsburgh, Kansas. So if you're going to be at the Western Farm Show tomorrow, be sure to stop by and see us. Coming up on the program today, Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation, will join us. We'll talk about efforts to get FDA to enforce labeling laws. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about a number of ag issues with Roger Johnson, President of the National Farmers Union. He'll, he is not running for re-election. We'll get his thoughts uh, on his time as president of NFU and his thoughts on what he sees as the big challenges ahead for agriculture. And also on the program today, I'll have some comments on the recently resurfaced comments by presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg. Those comments uh, were discovered from 2016 before his uh, much-criticized debate performance last night. He had been much criticized for some comments he made about farmers and farming and uh, i'll have some thoughts on that a little bit later on in the program but we're going to start things off with todd neely dtn reporter todd how are you good mike how are you very good should mention of course the usda outlook conference is underway we'll talk more about that on the program tomorrow but just a few things from there usda projecting 94 million acres of corn this year that would be up five percent 85 million bushels of bean or 85 million acres of beans I should say up 12%. So 94 million is their corn acre number up 5%, 85 million their bean acre number at 12 up 12%. Now on their price projections they're projecting corn at 360 that would be down a quarter and the bean price at 880 a bushel up a nickel. So just some of the uh, numbers coming out of the USDA Outlook Conference. We'll talk much more about those tomorrow as far as export projections and things like that. But uh, certainly that'll be something for uh, those in the ag world and the markets to uh, look at and react to, Todd. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, and, uh, you know, here we are, too. We're hearing a lot about uh, what conditions here in the Midwest uh, leading into spring. You know, lots of snowpack and different things. Um, you know, we've seen some projections that uh, uh, we could see a lot more flooding, even more than, than last year, based on what we see. Uh, it's just kind of waiting out there for a, for a melt. And so uh, it'll be interesting, you know, with those USDA projections, it kind of makes you wonder if uh, they've taken some of that into account or not. Because we, you know, as we saw last year, we saw a lot of preventive planting acres uh, and those sorts of things. And so just from the appearances of things right now, it looks like we may be heading for a similar situation. Yep, they are projections subject to change, that's for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, WOTUS rule, and we expected legal challenges. Uh, what's happening in the legal front there? Well, yeah, Mike, a couple different things. You know, we had uh, an announcement earlier this week uh, from some other environmental groups uh, planning a lawsuit against the new water rule. Uh, that, that new rule was actually uh, announced or finalized uh, at the end of January, um, and we've got some challenges coming up in particular as it relates to the Endangered Species Act. Uh, these groups are making a number of claims that uh, EPA has not followed the law uh, in putting out some information about how this uh, new rule may affect endangered species. Uh, and if you look, uh, they, they're also challenging uh, the way things look in the West. You know, we've got a number of states out there in the West that they claim will lose Clean Water Act protections. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be the first of many, I think, yet to come. But this one's a bit concerning because, uh, you know, we've seen other cases involving the Endangered Species Act where uh, the administration at the time maybe didn't uh, consider the ESA as they should have. Uh, and courts have uh, tended to, to side with, with many uh, groups in these types of cases. And then also we've got, uh, there's a case in South Carolina uh, challenging the repeal of the 2015 rule. 
Um, the court had granted those uh, environmental groups in that case a 75-day stay, and so chances are that case may uh, may eventually evaporate because of new developments, you know, with the new rule being out now and so on. So groups in that case are kind of reconsidering their their legal options going forward. I want to also mention a new coalition. Several ag groups are forming uh, on ag sustainability. This comes at a time when, of course, there's a lot of focus on climate change and environmental issues and and carbon and environmental footprints and things like that. Uh, Secretary Purdue announcing a framework uh, for USDA. Uh, they're wanting to slash ag's environmental footprint by 50% uh, while increasing farm productivity by 40% over the next several years. Uh, there's debate, of course, whether climate change is happening. There's debate whether it's man-made, if it is happening, or uh, naturally occurring. But the, there's no doubt, uh, there's no ignoring the fact that the debate is on, and there's going to be a push in this area. And I think these ag groups coming together in this coalition, I think they're trying to get out in front of it, want to make sure that agriculture has a seat at the table in these discussions when policies are starting to be developed. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, I think... Uh, that's one of the biggest knocks on a lot of ad groups over the years that uh, a lot of these things have kind of blindsided them at times. Uh, you know, a lot of times they haven't seemed prepared and, and what, you know, to respond or how to respond to it. Um, I think this move is probably a smart thing. You know, there's 21 major ad groups and livestock groups um, that have formed this coalition. It's called the, the, the Farmers for Sustainable Future. Um, and I, and I think that's the main point of what they're doing. You know, they're, they're hoping that, you know, as if the debate gets to the point where we see, uh, you know, significant legislation in the House and Senate and so forth, that they could at least have a seat at the table. You know, and Ag's got a pretty good story to tell. I mean, there's been a lot of gains in terms of making their pra- making practices more sustainable, uh, taking better care of the land and the water and so forth. Um, and so it definitely makes a lot of sense to, to, uh, to get these groups out in front and, and get them at the table because as you said uh this debate's going to continue to heat up regardless of who's uh who's leading the administration and so on i i think uh this is an important move uh, for agriculture yeah and if your voice isn't heard there are going to be policies that'll be implemented that will certainly impact agriculture and you want to you want to be a part of that uh, you want to help frame that discussion or you're probably not going to like what's coming down on you no that's exactly right and you know it's uh you know, we never know where the political winds go, uh, you know, whether House and Senate, you know, who's going to control which uh, which body at what time. We, we just don't know. And so it is definitely uh, better to be safer than sorry. And I think, you know, as we go on, I mean, I think you're going to see continued improvements in agriculture. And that's one thing I think that story needs to be tell about what farmers are actually doing out there and, and the advancements they're making and uh you know, kind of not only to get the story out there, but maybe to raise attention and, and realize, you know, maybe the policymakers mm-hmm. need to realize that, that more investment needs to be made in, in these areas. That's right. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we'll talk with Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations with the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, there's no doubt the climate change discussion is not going away. And that's why this low-carbon fuel policy, especially if it expands into more states, offers a great opportunity for the biofuels industry. Absolutely. And, and the corn plant is a wonderful plant. It, it, you know, through photosynthesis, it takes carbon out of the air, puts it in the soil, which is 
good for the soil. And in the meantime, it, it produces protein and energy. And uh, that that is, is it's remarkable, the changes we've had in our industry. Uh, one of our board members says, if you haven't been on a corn farm in the last five years, you haven't been on a corn farm. And, and that's so true. The technology that our folks are using is amazing. And the fact that we can address what is one of the most pressing issues in, around the world is a pretty great opportunity. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Corn, soybean, and cotton growers are in a race against time when it comes to hard-to-kill weeds. Interline herbicide from UPL works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate-resistant weeds, including pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed. Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline and always read and follow label directions. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 58 members of the House of Representatives recently wrote the FDA commissioner urging the agency to quickly finish and act upon its examination of how to enforce regulations defining what may be labeled as a dairy product. Here to talk about that is Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, how long has it been now when we were excited that FDA kind of said they would start looking at this? And uh, here we are still waiting for some action. Yeah, it's been almost two years now. I think it was uh, mm. July or August of 2018 when then-Commissioner Gottlieb made his now-famous comment that an almond doesn't lactate, and we were very encouraged that uh, FDA was going to be beginning a process. But as we've said previously, uh, 2019 as a full year came and went with no action. So uh, we are glad that Congress is continuing to keep pressure on. Yeah, so basically, as we have said before, this is a matter of enforcing existing regulations, not creating something new. That's exactly right. This is a matter of enforcing existing standards of identity that have been on the books for a very long time that were created in the interest of fair dealing for consumers and making sure that people have accurate information about the products that they're buying. Because in the meantime, what we have seen now, it seems, it seems like every day we see some new uh, product coming out uh, that's an imitation dairy type of product. Uh, not only milk products, but butter and things like that. I mean, it, it, there are just a number of them coming out. There has to be some consumer confusion, I would think. And, and there and there absolutely is, and survey data bears that out, that 
majority of consumers surveyed in, in survey from a couple of years ago believe that, for instance, almond-based beverages have as much or more protein than real milk, when in reality milk has up to eight times as much. And so there is a misperception out there and a lot of confusion because when these products have the dairy terms on them, they're using, they're trying to use the health halo of dairy. And I think it's not just a concern we have, it's a concern that the public health community has. It you know, came up at the hearing a few weeks ago a little bit, but various groups at pediatrics, American Heart Association have weighed in on this, noting that if you're going to make decisions about what to feed young kids, for the most part, they should not be fed plant-based imitation products as an alternative to cow's milk because their nutrition profiles aren't really equivalent. And in cases where that has happened, there have been cases of kids having nutritional deficiencies because parents bought something under the you know, good intention but mistaken belief that the products were similar and they weren't. We mentioned 58 members of the House sending a letter, signing a letter, sending it to uh, FDA. Now, many of those same members of Congress are also uh, supporting the Dairy Pride Act, aren't they? Yeah, many of those members in both parties are co-sponsors and and as well as the authors, obviously, of the Dairy Pride Act legislation that's been introduced in the House and the Senate, uh, which we testified on at the Energy and Commerce Committee a number of weeks ago, to compel FDA to act. And where where does that legislation stand? Well, we had the hearing at the end of January. Our, uh, our executive vice president, Tom Bomber, testified there before Congress and engaged on the issue with a number of members in both parties. And, uh, you know, we're going to be continuing our conversations with the bill sponsors and others, you know, on the Energy and Commerce Committee and in the Congress in general to figure out next steps and a path forward to, uh, to moving legislation. It's only February, so there's many months still in the year to go, and we will be continuing that process. The legislation would designate foods that make an inaccurate claim about milk contents as misbranded and then subject them to enforcement of labeling rules, but it still would require FDA to do something, right? That's correct. The the legislation does require that, uh, that FDA take action on how it's going to enforce. We're talking with Paul Bleiberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. So FDA now with two commissioners basically saying yeah they support this idea of uh, of uh, you know upholding the regulations on on labeling but so far it's it's more words than action well and, and that's why we thought this letter was such a good thing and we were so heartened to see 58 bipartisan members uh, weighing in as well as the several senators that sent a letter a number of weeks ago because obviously Dr. Hahn has only recently taken office as the commissioner of the FDA and he had some comments during his confirmation hearing in an exchange with Senator Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin that we took some encouragement from as far as okay his interest in the topic but you know obviously action hasn't occurred yet and I think the value in the congressional pressure both from the House and the Senate is to move the issue up the commissioner's radar as much as possible as something that's going to be significant for members. For a long time, Paul, and the dairy industry has been dealing with this for many, many years, but for a long time you were kind of uh, the, the lone industry out there calling for this, but now we're seeing these imitation products, whether they be pork or beef or poultry, whatever it may be. So I would think you would have some, uh, some more allies in this now. Yeah, I think that's true that there are a lot of different uh, folks in the ag and food space now that have this concern about you know what is real, what is fake, and, and, and labeling and making sure people have correct information. And that's the point we've been making. This is a really a truth in labeling and giving consumers accurate information in the name of public health because when people make, like I said earlier, well-intentioned but misinformed decisions, there end up being health consequences to it. And it's not a matter of keeping someone else from entering a product into the marketplace. It's just a matter of uh, fair representation, labeling, and accurate information so the consumers are not misled. That's correct. There's nothing in the Dairy Pride Act or in any of these uh, comments that we've submitted or anything members of Congress have said that suggests that these products shouldn't exist and be sold. It's, it's a function of what are they labeled and what are they representing to be. So do you get any indication at all from FDA if they're close to making some kind of announcement on this, or is it just, as we keep hearing, under consideration? Well, obviously, you know, with the new commissioner, I think we're, we're still trying to get as clear a sense as we uh, as we can. But, uh, you know, as you said, we've, we've been hearing for a while under consideration, under consideration, and so on, and we've not seen action. So the, the urgency for passing the legislation is, is becoming greater and greater. So... 
getting this Dairy Pride Act through is key. Always tough to get something passed in Congress, especially these days. How optimistic are you about this getting through anytime soon? Well, I think we just have to keep making our case. I think we were really excited to have the opportunity to testify at the hearing. We thought that was a good step, and we, we wanted to grab that moment there. And I think we had a good showing that day as far as the questions we were able to answer and the information we were able to provide. And uh, as you said, it's, it's tough to get those through. It's an election year. There are a lot of pressures around the election, uh, but we're going to make the best uh, the best effort we can. Is there any organized opposition to the Dairy Pride Act? Um, there, there's not, uh, I don't think, a large lobbying campaign, I would say, but the, you know, the definitely folks on the on the uh, on the plant-based side of the industry have raised concerns, obviously, from their standpoint, because I think they've they obviously wouldn't be <laughs> fans of the of this approach, even though, as I said, all we're all we're saying is accurate labeling in the name of public health and giving consumers information that they need when they make purchasing decisions, which was the whole point of standards of identity. So if they want to be against that, that they can make that case to Congress. But I don't think it's a very compelling case. You know, every time I see uh, a commercial uh, for these new products that are out there, whether they be dairy or beef or pork or whatever, I think, you know, for those who say, well, what's the big deal about this? Well, obviously there's a value in a name like milk or dairy or, in other cases, beef or pork. Otherwise, these new products, these new companies coming along with these new products wouldn't be using those, wouldn't be trying to capitalize and take, you know, use it to their full advantage. That's exactly right. And that's the point we make is that in, in most other countries, this is not an issue at all because the products are correctly labeled. And moreover, some of the products that are sold in other countries are actually manufactured here in the United States, and they are correctly labeled because the, the product makers know they have to comply with the laws of other countries because of enforcement. But they can get away with using the dairy terms over here because FDA has fallen down on the job for all this time. And so they deliberately do it for one reason and one reason only. As you just said, it's to take advantage of dairy's good name. If it worrying about that, there'd be no reason to use the term since there's not the nutritional similarity. It's not the same product. It's just because they want to try to convince people that it is. And based on the survey data I mentioned, it's certainly a case. People are going out and buying these products under the misconception in a lot of cases that there's a nutritional equivalence that's not really there. In some ways, imitation may be a compliment, but not in this case. That's exactly right. So the the push continues again. It's been going on for some time now, and I know it has to be frustrating, especially now with these new products coming out. But uh, at least it's giving you a chance to make a, a stronger push with FDA. Hopefully, they'll be open to the uh, to getting something done rather than just saying they're going to keep looking at it. So, Paul, thank you for the update. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you for having me on. All right. Well, well. hopefully we'll talk soon and talk about, hey, they're finally doing something on this. So uh, we're, we're, we've been waiting for that day for a long time, but hopefully we're getting closer. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks, Mike. Paul Blyberg, he's Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Coming up next, Roger Johnson wrapping up his time as President of the National Farmers Union. We're going to talk ag issues with Roger. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you what you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests who are important to the ag industry. It's information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The adverse effects of African swine fever on the Chinese hog herd is expected to extend into 2020, that according to the USDA. The agency places its estimate for Chinese hog production as down 80 million head in 2020 from 2019. As a result, Chinese pork prices are 150 to 200 percent higher than they were last year, according to the USDA. For U.S. hog producers, this hopefully creates an opening for the increased production of hogs expected this year. U.S. pork production Production is expected to total 28.9 billion pounds in 2020, up from 27.6 billion pounds last year. After ending with triple-digit gains on Wednesday's trading session, hog futures are trading lower on this Thursday. The May contract down 35 at 74.95. The June contract down 95 at 82.22. April feeder cattle's down 42 cents at 142.60. April live cattle down 52 at 120.27. June down 27 at 120. As expected by grain traders, the USDA has raised its target for 2020-2021 planted acres, with corn acres now expected to total 94 million acres and soybean acres totaling 85 million acres. That's an increase of 5% and 12% over the last year, respectively. The grain and oil seed sector, an hour into the trading session, is trading lower. May soybeans down a penny and three quarters of a cent at 9.03 and three quarters of a cent. May corn down a penny and three quarters at 383 and a half cent. May Minneapolis spring wheat down three and three quarters at 542 and three quarters of a cent. May Kansas City wheat down four and a half cent at 482 and a quarter. May Chicago wheat down four and three quarters at 557 and three quarters of a cent. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Roger Johnson has announced he'll not seek re-election as president of the National Farmers Union. He joins us now. Roger, good to talk with you. You're not planning on retiring, are you? You're just you're going to stay busy, right? <laughs> good to be with you, Mike. No, I I am retiring. I'm old, and you know, old people should eventually retire. That's my theory. Um, no, I'm looking forward to the convention and I'm looking forward to spending some time with the grandkids and, and with my wife and doing a little traveling and doing a little biking around the country and yeah, looking forward to retirement. I understand. Sounds good. Well, let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the issues, uh, uh, your thoughts on where we're at now. You know, there, there's a lot of talk about how good the general economy is for the country but there hasn't been a lot of discussion or talk about the the state of the ag economy it has not enjoyed the same uh uh bounce as the general economy and that's uh that's yeah. still a huge issue for agriculture here in 2020 
Yeah, it is, and it, and it will be for some time, I think. Uh, I'm I'm really worried about this because of how sort of the politics have set up on all of this. Uh, I mean, you've got you've got a lot of financial stress that's over the last five six years, in particular, as we've seen this farm economy continue to ratchet down, was sort of. Uh, averted a bit with the introduction of MFP, and uh, and I, sh- I I say a bit, uh, but maybe I ought to be. It's more than a bit. I mean, it was the the decline was averted. The amount of money that went out in MFP was really a lot of money. And some people don't really understand the magnitude of this, but the amount of money going out in MFP is greater than all the money going out for ARC, for PLC, for the dairy programs, and for the crop insurance subsidies. So if you think of it this way, we spend five years working on a farm bill, trying to get all the different pieces together to provide a safety net for farmers. And all the money we spend on that is superseded by the amount of money that comes uh, really unbudgeted from MFP. Now, there's a couple of issues with that. First of all, I mean, it was needed because there was a lot of damage done uh, to the farm economy as a result of the of the trade actions from this administration and the retaliation from other countries, so you needed to offset that. <clears throat> the The problem is that it's all non-budgeted. I mean, it's some would say it's a loophole. I don't know that I'd call it a loophole, but it's all unbudgeted money coming through the CCC. Congress has to fund it at the end of the year, but they don't have any say over how it's spent to begin with. So, uh, and that's not going to continue. I, I, my guess is we may see it again this year because it's election year. And so it wouldn't surprise me, September, October, we're going to have another big MFP announcement for 2020. Uh, but I can't imagine that it will be there the following year. So that really sets us up for the loss of a whole bunch of income coming in to the economy. So you have that as sort of this big uncertainty. It's coupled with, my personal view is I think, while I'm encouraged by phase one of the China deal and USMCA brings a little bit of stability, it really doesn't do much to overall market demand for agriculture because we're mostly tariff-free under NAFTA before. But it hopefully settles that dispute down. In uh, some other uh, trade deals that have been put together in a rather modest way, I say that because they're not confirmed by Congress, and so they don't get solidified to the same degree that something that gets congressional confirmation gets solidified. So I, I think this trade, there's just a lot of uncertainty around trade that's going to continue for some time. And then you add on top of that the this administration's actions on the small refinery waivers and the, you know, about 4 billion gallons of renewable fuel demand that was destroyed as a part of that. Hopefully, we've reversed that. Farmers Union was one of the parties, uh, along with a number of others in the ethanol industry that sued EPA and, and won a, a, a district court decision uh, recently uh, that maybe stops that, uh, but we, you know, we don't know. So my point is, there's just an awful lot of uncertainty. And to your point about the general economy is viewed pretty favorably, the egg economy is there's a lot of uncertainty, and there's a lot of tension that leads to a lot of stress. Uh, you know, you've got increasing bankruptcies, increasing suicides, all those kinds of things that just helps to underscore the point that you made. We're talking with Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. Roger, um, there's no doubt there's an increased emphasis on the environment, on on climate change, however you feel about that. there's It's going to be a big uh, issue, and policies are going to be developed around it. So it's important for agriculture to be part of this discussion, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It absolutely is, and 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 I would say, uh, 
Farmers Union has long believed in the science, and we've we've never really sort of shrunk from the debate about climate change. There's no question that agriculture contributes in some way to climate change. It's relatively modest in the U.S. as a you know as compared to the rest of the world, but nonetheless we are contributing to it. There's no question that agriculture, if we get the policy right and the incentives right, agriculture can be enormously beneficial in reducing and helpful uh, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, So we absolutely need to be at the table, and we need to recognize that there are some changes that we're likely going to have to make in agriculture, and we, you know, Listen, I'm 67 years old. Every year there's a change that comes along in my life. You know, you have a choice. You can either pretend like it didn't happen or you can accept it and react to it. I think the latter is a better approach. In agriculture as an industry, we need to sort of sit down the rest with the rest of the participants here and be a meaningful player in putting the policies together such that the incentives are right because agriculture is the one place where we can take dramatic and fairly quick action to deal with some of these greenhouse gas emissions. And we can do it more affordably than all of the other technology that's being talked about in all the other sectors of the economy. So we shouldn't shrink from this. We should welcome it. Uh, We should be at the table. And we ought to. We've been be down this. Ro- we've been down this road one other time, though, Roger. Remember, last time it turned into cap and trade, and and things yep. kind of fell apart. Hopefully, we can learn from lessons of the past and and get it right this time. Well, hopefully, yes. I mean, uh, when I started this job, I came out here in March of two thousand nine. Cap and trade was very much uh, the focal point at that time in Congress. People forget that in the 2000 election, just a year preceding this, both party candidates supported cap and trade. John McCain endorsed it, as did Barack Obama. There was a presumption that that was going to be the policy. And Farmers Union is, we're not... We're not uh, firm on the kind of policy that it needs to be because we want to be able to negotiate and get something right. But we do think that you need to have some mechanism for putting a price on carbon. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to get those incentives correct so that farmers, in fact, do the right kinds of things to bring carbon out of the atmosphere, put it in the ground, build soil health in the process, we can all be winners if we get this thing done right. And so while we don't oppose cap and trade, our policy, you know, we'll we'll debate this policy again in just over a week at our national convention. I would suspect that we'll end up with policy that endorses any number of different methodologies to put a price on carbon and to make sure that the incentive structure works for farmers, that it's far better to do it with incentives than to try and demand that farmers do this, that, or the other thing. This sort of command economy approach really doesn't work. I mean, it never really has, and it certainly isn't going to work in a country as big as ours when you've got, you know, there are different methodologies that work in different parts of the country uh, so let's let this economic system that we have through an incentive-based approach send the signals to farmers and have farmers and ranchers respond to those signals by adopting these practices that are going to, uh, you know, bring more, put more greenhouse gases into the soil. Well, Roger, good to talk with you again. Congratulations on all your years of service to agriculture and best of luck to you in retirement. Thank you very much. Take care. You take care, too. Thank you, sir. Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. Well, big uh, Democratic uh, presidential candidate debate last night. It was not a real good night in most estimations uh, for Michael Bloomberg. Um, He was already... uh, 
dealing with some controversial remarks he made back a few years ago about farming and teaching people to farm and the process. I'll have some comments on those comments coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney, we hear a lot about those in agriculture skeptical because of all the problems we've had with Europe on so many ag fronts. What do you see coming as far as ag trade with Europe? Well, they continue to hold at some level to their stated desire that a deal be reached minus ag. Then there are shades that suggest that that's modified some. The issue, though, is the precautionary principle, which sounds like a good thing, but is absolutely a horrific thing for the world, continues to get in the way. It has a stranglehold on Europe. Maybe UK is soon to be the exception. We hope that. And it's just choking things. Every time we find access for a product of one form or another, the precautionary principle finds a way to negate that sale and we get shut out. We've been flat for six years in U.S. food and ag sales to Europe. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me. I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, Important Agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, 
Which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Corn, soybean, and cotton growers are in a race against time when it comes to hard-to-kill weeds. Interline herbicide from UPL works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate-resistant weeds, including pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed. Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline, and always read and follow label directions. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So last night was probably not a really good night for presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg. Most have been highly critical of his performance in the debate last night. But even before last night, he was under fire in some quarters for some recently resurfaced comments he made back in 2016 about farming. Those comments have created quite a stir. Now, some say... Those controversial remarks are being taken out of context. Others claim the comments are very insulting to farmers. The truth probably is somewhere in the middle, but they have created quite a discussion nonetheless. Once again, it seems to take a negative to get most people in this country to even talk or or even think about agriculture. It seems there has to be some sort of a problem, such as a, a disease, flood, drought, biotech product controversy or or a perceived disparaging remark by a national figure in this case to make people aware of agriculture and and get them even talking about agriculture i have found it interesting that a lot of people that probably don't think a lot about agriculture did uh, actually come to agriculture's defense and farmers defense after they heard those uh, comments while others even in the ag community some saying you know hey they're taken out of context look at the whole picture and things like that so as i said Uh, The truth, somewhere in the middle, probably. But obviously, those remarks about the process of teaching people how to be farmers were an oversimplification. If it was that easy, everyone could do it, and not everyone can. Uh, I can attest to that. I've often said that uh, I'm so thankful that there are are people that are, are committed to producing our food in this country, because if it was left up to me, we'd all be in trouble. I'm just not good at that. Uh, at, at that and uh, after working on a farm growing up I tell you what I, it was the greatest education I ever had I learned so much and learned above all I think an appreciation for the people that do that on a daily basis but these comments by Michael Bloomberg uh, about this process that that he could teach anyone how to farm well the problem is not the intent I don't think I'll give Bloomberg the benefit of the doubt here I don't think it was the intent but rather the perpetuation of a mis perception of agriculture that many have that I think is the problem with the comments. Whatever Bloomberg's intent was at the time, it was a poor choice of words. With the vast majority of our population uneducated about agriculture, comments like Bloomberg's, however they were meant, if they're taken seriously, can make the educational curve we have even steeper. I learned long ago to appreciate the work farmers and ranchers do every day to feed us. Not only do most people in this country take their food for granted, but they certainly take those who produce it for granted as well. Yes, Mr. Bloomberg, there is a process to being a farmer, but it is not as simple as your words made it sound. Not only does that process require the use of modern technology, but it also requires a great deal of risk-taking dealing with circumstances beyond your control, like markets, weather, and government policies. Perhaps instead of being upset with Michael Bloomberg's comments, farmers actually should be grateful for the attention it has created and use this opportunity to educate people, including presidential candidates, about the real process they deal with every day on their farms and ranches. You know, we may not be able to teach everybody how to be a farmer, but hopefully we can teach them to have a greater appreciation for those who are. 
So while the debate continues around what he meant and how he meant it and were those comments uh, actually taken out of context or not, I think uh, it does open another door of opportunity to discuss our food production in this country and the men and women, the families that are out there doing it, and to hopefully show a greater appreciation for the work that they do. So uh, there is a process, and uh, even though Michael Bloomberg comments about the process that he could teach everyone basically to dig a hole, put a seed in it, cover it up, and, and pour water on it, and you have corn, uh, obviously that's a vast oversimplification. But uh, let's uh, let's try to communicate better to the population as a whole what the process really is and what it takes and the commitment that is made and how fortunate this country is to have people willing to do it on an everyday basis so that we can enjoy the food, the safe and affordable food that we have in this country. So Michael Bloomberg's comments, uh, well, the presidential campaign will bring a lot of those things to light and there'll be a lot of discussion about them for and against, but let's look at the bigger picture. We all need to do a better job of communicating about agriculture. We all need to be uh, better uh, able to explain the story and educate people and not just think everyone should automatically know what it takes to get them their food, but help explain it to them and uh, hopefully create a better appreciation. We'll all be better off if that's the case, and certainly agriculture will be better off. It'll be much easier when it comes to policy making and things like that if we have a more informed population. Now, you can't make people understand. You can't make them want to learn, but hopefully there will be enough people willing to, uh, to listen to the message, and that will help better inform them about making their choices and decisions when it comes to not only the food that they choose to buy, but also in the policies that are developed in this country that impact the uh, production of our food. All right, just some thoughts, just some comments on the Michael Bloomberg's comments that resurfaced recently that he made, I believe, back in 2016. Right now, though, he's dealing with comments that were made, he made and were made about him last night at the uh, Democratic uh, candidates' debate. All right, so we'll wrap things up today. I'm in uh, Monmouth, Illinois today. And our thanks to our, our affiliate here, WRAM. Vanessa does a great job, her and her staff, making us very welcome here. I'm looking forward to moderating a couple of ag panel discussions uh, here in Monmouth uh, this morning. And then also, uh, then I'll be headed to Kansas City, going to the Western Farm Show. I'll be there tomorrow. I haven't been to the Western Farm Show in several years. Looking forward to seeing folks there. And I'll be broadcasting from the booth of our affiliate KKOW from Pittsburgh, Kansas. Looking forward to being there. And if you're going to be at the Western Farm Show in Kansas City tomorrow, be sure to stop by and see us. With that, we'll wrap it up for today. Hey, thanks for being with us. Always appreciate you joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.